as an entrepreneur, you are probably very aware of the fact that once you think you've got something figured out, something's going to change and you're going to have to shift with it. In today's conversation, I'm speaking with Wolfgang von Gerup, and we're talking about one of the biggest shifts that we must make with our business, and that is scaling. When we are ready to scale our business beyond just ourselves as a primary face of the business to creating a team, we have some important shifts to make. Wolf and I talk specifically about the identity shifts that founders need to make so they do not become the bottleneck in their own business and so they can intentionally set the foundation for a healthy culture. Hello, my name is Mary Maduna Gross, and you're listening to Fully Alive, the podcast for conscious entrepreneurs who are hungry to live their purpose, expand their impact, and create with ease. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today. Before we get into our content for our conversation today, I would love to hear about you. Um, tell us a little bit about the journey that you've been on that have, has brought you to where you are today. Mm, thank you, Mary. Yeah, it's such a delight to be today here with you and um, talk about like a certain topic that conscious leaders are really like into. Okay. Um, about myself, um, I'm working toward, um, today I'm a, I'm a coach and I'm a consultant and I'm supporting um, the female entrepreneurs in the journey to really discovering what is, what is their role during, uh, the, during the phase of scaling when they grow and scale their business, like really like from two to five to 10, 25, 50, there's a lot of identity change on this journey. All right. But what brought me here? You wonder. Yeah. What brought me here? Yeah. So I myself, I'm, I'm a creative, I'm a designer and, um, I started my own marketing agency or design studio in the beginning. Um, just working with artists and um, people from the culture industry. And when they always talked about um, when they, the way they want to release an album, like a record, it was yes. all about them. It was all about like, they needed to show themselves. Okay. But they were really vulnerable because they were great in the studio or on stage, but now they need to go into this territory. Like this album needed to reflect them, their work the last year that we spent in the studio and it's, uh, music is always so personal. Right. And, and so it was always this, I love this discussion with the musicians to how do you show your inside out? One of my, uh, let's say most remarkable record sleeves I created. It's Kurt. It's his name is curse. He's a, he's a German rapper. And, um, and I visited him in, at his home and, uh, he said, you know what, I will make you a tea when we can talk about the record. And I was just watching his room. I looked at his books, the little things, the statues, the stuff he had there. And then he said, oh, I want to tell you about my new album. And I said, like, I think I got it. Nope. I said, what do you mean? I think I got it. Um, when I just, just uh, and I just make, can I make a bold move? And I said, like, and I just was reflecting what I saw in the room. Mm-hmm. It was representing his current reality. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, I assume it's kind of like, these are the things that's really, that really influence your album. I don't know what the album is really about, but these are the things that influence. And he said, how can you tell? And I said, mm-hmm. like, I just 
They just spend 10 minutes with you without you in your room. And so the record sleeve became, we took 100 items out of his room, drove them to Berlin, put them on, we just strode them up, uh, we arranged them on concrete, put him next to it and made a, a shot, the cover shot. We just let his room tell the story. Wow. What, a, what an eye for interpreting what you see around a room. It's not just the objects. No. What I'm hearing you say is you're interpreting what this object um, means for this human being and how these objects connect to one another. Yeah, everything tells a story. Yeah. Have you always been good at being able to tell story? I don't know if I was always, but I love it. Storytelling, I would say, I can, I am enjoying it a lot. And, yeah. um, and as also when you work with artists, you need to have a good story because it's not about the facts. It's about the story behind the visual piece of art. And, mm -hmm. and so it's the non-obvious, which you need to, sh need to shine and bring yeah. to light. I mean, this is the same with doubts, right? Like people say, there's a symptom, something is going on in my, in my business. So, and like my team is, is not so effective, like they should be. Um, or I feel I'm the only one working here like a horse and why no one else? And, but what is the underlying concern? Or when people say, I need a mission, I need, I need, we need purpose. Purpose is a solution to a problem, to a cause, to a problem, to an underlying, maybe I feel no one understands me. I, that's why no one follows me. No one supports me. We need a shared purpose. So we work on together on the same thing. Sure. No, there is the obvious layer and the, and the hidden layers. Okay. We're, we're diving right into this, aren't we, Wolf? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love it. Let's going to the point. So we were talking about storytelling and, and your ability to see a story in someone's room, um, to learn about them. How does this relate to what you're doing now? Yeah. Basically, this is maybe a, one of the core I do as I always do, seeing what the, who the, the, I see, I look into the other person and really bringing that to light. And when I built my, my design studio from one to really, I, I started growing it and with, then I was growing it first to four people. And with four people, I need to make a decision because the people, like the, the people wanted to say like, oh, Wolfgang, you are the main designer. We don't want to be your supporters. We want to design ourselves. We don't want to finish your ideas. We are great designers too. You are limiting us. And so this was the last day I designed. Okay. I, I handed over. I went to the next client. I told him, um, oh, great. And it was a, you are, um, how can you say this? Oh, this, I really, like, he said, like, what do you want? What kind of website? That So this was all cool. And I said, you know what? I got the perfect, the perfect team for you. What do you mean? I thought you're making my website. And I laughed at him. And I said, he was a chef or a great restaurant. He said, like, while you're sitting here with lunch, who is cooking in your restaurant? Uh, yeah, that's the same with me. I take care. I'm building. I'm making sure you get the best team. And I have amazing designers. And, and uh, Susanna and Christian, they will, they will design your website. Very sharp thinking to come up with a metaphor that this client would resonate with uh, to make your point for you. Um, 
And yet we're in the space here about designing. Are, is that where you're still at? Or what is it that you're passionate about now? I would say the designer is my main identity because okay. the designer has certain layers. It's seeing the other person, mm -hmm. understanding the context and the, compl and the complexity and create, building a beautiful solution. Okay. And so I would say I will always be a designer, but the context changed because when I built my agency from zero to five to in the end, 40 employees, um, I even sold the business or right. merged it with, then I created, tried to build a beautiful uh, merger with other cultures. And um, this is like today, I learned so much on my own journey. And after that, I really started for that. I think it's a little deeper, like deep, a little deeper in the story. After I sold my company, I started working with a lot of startups in, um, in Africa. I supported their startup building um, in Europe and worked with a lot of founders and male and female founders on their journey. I always tried to design how can collaboration work beautifully? Okay. How, can we, how can everybody be their best? And, um, and, and I thought you need to change them by changing their attitude and mindset. It's partly true for the founders, but mainly, mainly you need to change the circumstances. Tell me more. Circumstances means how can you build beautiful structures? And I give a simple example, a game like Monopoly. Okay. Everybody knows on the world kind of played Monopoly. Have you played Monopoly? Monopoly? Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. So basically everybody can like jumps on this game. And if we both play it, um, we will probably get along even if we have never, we have worked together, but a game is a work is collaboration. Right. So there are certain rules and the rules means everybody, there are some people who are always running around and they cannot sit still. Mm -hmm. Others, um, they are sorting their money by color. Okay. Other are sorting them. They're putting it under, under the, the board game, other next to it. Others make a pile. Doesn't matter. This is personally, but the game rules are, are fixed. So we are, and if you take that to a, um, to a, a company culture, if you create the game rules, then everybody can interact because in work, work in bigger companies, bigger means starting with two people. Work needs to be divided. Right. And dividing needs it rules and games and, and also how do we do it and arrangement. Mm -hmm. There is always like, do you know, like there's this one field in, in Monopoly, the top left, you know, where this car is free parking, I think. Right. Right. How did you play it? When it was free parking? When, uh, when, yeah, when, what happened when you go on this field? I think you got all the money that was in the middle of the board. We played it too. But you know okay. what? It's not in the game rule. The this is culture. Uh, in, in the board game, usually you, you collect the money, you give it to the bank. It's a, it's a cultural interpretation of the people, of your family, of the game. So you, you agreed as a culture to bend the formal rules mm -hmm. and your culture said like, no, it's a waste of money. If money goes to the bank, we play it, it goes to the middle and comes back to one. Got it. So this is culture. Culture yeah. is the reaction to the structures. So there are certain rules and the team culture says, we like the rules, but not all of that. We think this is unfair. So that's where we change it. Mm -hmm. 
And um... so it sounds like you work with teams then to to scale, to to build in these cultural rules about how we're going to divide the work. Yeah. And this is a design. This is a design. How can we work best? And every team is different. And because based on the cultures, you need to come up with a certain kind of, yeah, let's say, how do you divide power? How do you divide decisions? Is it decentralized? Can everybody make decisions? Everybody decide? Are we arranged in circles? Or are, is it better? I feel more safe if I have a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. It's not, hierarchy is not good or bad. It depends on the intention. Okay. The intention of what people need. Some people love it to be told, have a clear leader, say like, tell me what to do. Because then I have, you know, my life is so complex and I, this whole thing is so complex. I just need, I want to go to work and go back home. I'm happy. Others mm-hmm. say, I love to get involved. I want to make like participation. I love discussing. Let's make discussion. Let's discuss until midnight. Should we do this or not? It's about voting and so on and so It's different organizations and cultures. And it also depends on the growth stage. I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah. So when it, we're going from one to two or maybe even one to three, then there must, tell us when's the next jump or, or give me a little idea about how the growth stage impacts the culture. Yeah. So the magic is in the numbers. So you can say everything until... Six, it's really like this. Everybody does everything. And so we really like, like more like a, like a closest, like more like the first, one thing, the, the first assistant and stuff like that. It's kind of like, it's everything around the leader, like the founder. Right. And so it's all about me. And it feels like, so it's more, it feels more like friends. Feel more like friends. Yeah. Kind of like, I can't wait to do it together. Then the next is this 15 from five to 15. And 15 is like still, kind of the family kind of style. We are really connected. Everybody cares. I call it, you can really tell it by the coffee machine um, test. If you work in one office, um, the simpler thing is the coffee machine is always clean. There'll be always coffee. Even like the toilet paper, there will always be toilet paper in the office. If it's empty, someone goes to the super and gets it. So that goes to like while lunch comes back, drinks. Everybody cares about a phone rings, someone grabs it. Starting over 15, suddenly the kitchen looks like a mess, no toilet paper, and the phone keeps ringing. Unless it's yours. There is this grace, like where people feel, the, like it's this 15 to 25, people start realizing, like, we want to have structures. I'm a specialist here. I am the copywriter. I am the engineer. I am the senior. I am this. They don't want to do this work anymore. They say it's the company's responsibility. Interesting. So, so if I'm hearing you right, at 15 or so up to 15, we're all kind of in it together. We feel yeah. interconnected and um, meaning that we also, there's blurred lines between our roles. Yeah. And then what I'm hearing you say is after 15, um, we start to find our silos or our lanes. I yeah. really hate that phrase, stay in your lane. But I'm going to use that want, here, yeah, right? We want to find our space and we want to be seen. And the question, I don't know, like, what is your numbers? Uh, like, how many people can you lead? How many were the people you let, like, in a workshop, 
like or 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 in a in a team how many people can you lead at one person well i i don't know i mean I, the, as you ask that question i'm thinking i've done workshops with you know up to probably 50 people 50 um 50 but i've also done uh you know led teams and teams had teams kind of thing yeah so um the i don't question, know when you ask question. The, yeah the question is about when you lead these 50 people can you see the 50 people it'd be like how many people feel seen got it yeah And as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking a couple of variables or at least one big variable is on on virtual kinds of context. So if I'm yeah. in person and I'm thinking about some of these workshops that I've led in the past, if we have the room set up so that I can walk around the room, I'm not just talking from the stage, so to speak, right? But I'm facilitating yeah. and walking through. I think I can see 50 people mm -hmm. in, a, in a day. Yeah, But if I'm on virtual it's it's much less it's pretty much left to how many people can fit on my screen so yeah, that i can see yeah at one time and in workshop basically everybody follows your your content right yes. you are leading yes. them but yes. on the other side may say like if seven later if you want to lead seven people that mm -hmm. comes with totally i'm doing design i'm doing copywriting i'm doing accounting i'm doing data yeah. so they all want with seven you say like leadership is good with seven 11 is already elaborated but after that it's too many people you yeah. can use it's kind of like you can like when everybody is in your space you cannot see everyone mm -hmm. having 15 one-on-ones every week out of your work week 15 times 30 to one hour like what's left right it's really hard so it's kind of like we start getting is too many people and mm -hmm. so i would To me, it's like after 12 or 11, people start not feel to be seen. They don't be seen. So kind of like, you don't see me. They are also testing the system. So uh, you know what? If I don't clean the coffee machine, I was the last one using it. Oh, I'm so busy. I go back and just, I have more valuable things to do. Right. Or it's a, and so, and of course, there's other people who care more. And so, but so there's the, some people who always care about the coffee machine, but others stop doing it. Right. And so is this, we cannot see all of them and they want to be seen mm -hmm. and structures. It doesn't matter if you have circle structures or a, they create spaces where you see each other and until 15, everybody sees everybody. That's why it's so strong. People say it's a, it's a really important to decision. If you want to build a company beyond 15, because between 15 and 50, It's a pretty brutal area. It's, okay. but you need to build in middle management. You need to build sub leaders, what, however you build it. And, right. and I like call it, it's not about the power. It's about making sure everybody feels supported and seen. Yeah. Because you cannot do that anymore. It's, right. you have no time. And everybody's also in such experts. They want to, they want to learn from you. And the question like, But we are the sales team. We want to like, you are too superficial. We want to talk to an expert. So we want to talk to someone who's amazing in sales. Or we want to talk to someone who's amazing in HR or amazing with doing design or so. Something we can learn from. So we need someone who leads us and grows us that we can become better. Right. 
And it's great that you're this great visionary CEO, founder, inspiring us all. We love you. But I need someone who is time for me to develop myself because I want to grow. I'm, an, I'm curious about the world. I want to be connected. I want to be supported. Yeah. I love that you're, you're focusing on helping the employees grow. One of the um, pieces of research that I keep coming back to uh, since I did my dissertation was, you know, what are the three responsibilities of a leader? And um, these researchers came up with is setting the vision, developing people, and making the systems work. And what you're talking about right here is, yeah. is developing those people. And going back to what you were saying earlier about mindset, because when you said, well, it's not just mindset, really, it's the context. And I felt myself kind of push back a little bit, like, oh, I don't know about that. But I see what you're saying here in terms of it's, it's kind of both. It's not it, to me, it's almost like a chicken and egg. Yeah, kind of conversation. yeah I love it. I love to come on. Let's let's get some friction. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, obviously I, I start with mindset and, you know, personal responsibility. Yeah. But if we're thinking about the responsibility of the leader and again, that responsibility of developing people, what I hear you say is the importance of making sure that everyone feels seen and heard. And be, yeah. because what, I, what to me that equals is they feel valued. Yeah, they're fully with you. And with okay. responsibility, you yeah. can say like, oh, now and you make mindset. And I think this is like a perfect bridge. Okay. Um, yeah, and then everybody feels seen. They say like, oh, if they feel seen, they feel more responsible. Right. And also we shift the mindset. But if the structures are not allowing responsibility. So it's kind of like a play Monopoly game, going back to this. So if the responsibility is like, like no, everybody can play, can like, who's the bank? Who's sorting the money? Okay. If we are all responsible for the bank, we all grab it. Okay. No, no, it's my job. I decide who goes first. I have the dice. I decide who's going next. I decide when the next turn is. I, and they said, but I want you all to be self-responsible. So how can we stay play, play res, like um, like the culture we want to create mm -hmm. is based on the rules we set, and we say we want an innovative, innovation-driven company. What does it mean? We have to allow failure because yeah. innovation doesn't work without failure. So, but how do we implement in a, a failure allowance into that? Right. What does it mean? Every, everybody can waste $500 per month on innovation. Try mm -hmm. something, break something. $500 and, and half a day of work. This yeah. is your budget. Five, four hours, $500. So you be like, do that. We don't care what happens. Mm -hmm. um, test something. Uh, you, are, you are allowed to, to, to test new things on a client, which we have never done before. And, um, and, um, we, we like, we ha we send a, with every new client, we, we start our relationship with an excuse, excuse letter saying, excuse, like in our relationship, sometimes awkward things will happen because we will test new things on you, our clients, because we are proving our client relationship ongoing. So for that, we're doing awkward tests. We allowed our, our stuff to do that. Okay. And what's the response to that from your clients? If you do this, then they think you're first thing you think you're crazy. Right. But on the other hand, they think you're brave. 
because you're saying like, and they're like, it's like, why do you do that? Because I set up a, a, a culture of innovation where people can test it. And when I allow tests and the question, what would like, how, what would change in your culture? If you set, uh, set your culture to innovation, what is the space innovation they can have on the weekend or on paper? Where can they test the innovation? Where's the space you gave them? So you need to build structures and spaces of allowance so they can be innovative. Otherwise right. it's just a phrase. Yeah, it, it is. And as you're describing that, I'm going back to, you know, the founder uh, starting and, and that whole idea of the first division of labor between one, two yeah. other people, right? Yeah. What is the, is it a mindset shift or what is the shift then that a founder needs to go to, to shift from that space of we're dividing up work to now creating a culture? Okay. So dividing the work to creating a culture. The interesting thing is the dividing the work. I mean, okay, one thing is that usually when you start, you want people, if you start alone, you beginning, you want to have people that help you. I have so much on my plate, so people help me. Right. We're leveraging out responsibilities that yeah, yeah. Well, and are then not revenue you, drubbing for us, yeah. right? That's what we yeah. keep and we leverage out well, the others. The beginning is about you, like the team helps me. And then right. there's a shift starting latest with 15 you help the team. Mm. This is the one shift. So one shift from people are supporting me to I support the people. Mm. So that's the leadership from starting to becoming leader. I am the service. I am the product. I am a coach. Every, I need, oh, can you please do the marketing? Can you do it? I need to coach everybody. But yeah, let's say if I have 15 people, I need to stop coaching. Right. I need to say like my, my company is offering a server, which is called coaching. And I have amazing trained, amazing coaches. They are coaching and my role or I'm supporting the coaches to be better coaches. That's a shift. That's a big shift. It is. And people are so scared of that. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, what are some of those common uh, things that we get hung up on then at that stage of, of transition of, of growing? You don't give up. The, the main problem is you don't give up what you love. Mm -hmm. If you love, if you started, there's a, it's a, it's a classic, the e-myth. Um, it's called the e-myth, the entrepreneur myth. It's such a good book. And um, it really is it's about the topic of if you start a bakery because you love baking, you basically already signed a bankruptcy statement because most companies die in five years. And I'm not calling, let's say, if you're a freelancer or a solopreneur, Let's say this can work, but if you want to grow something, it is, and even a bakery or a coffee shop, there's so many tasks involved. You cannot do alone. Right. And, or you burn out because going to the market, shopping, making the coffee, making the financing, cleaning the store. So you start, everybody should support you. But by that, this will not work. You need to let go of what you load. I need to let go design, stop designing to, yeah. to build a design agency. Yeah. And it was it's hard. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, it's, only it, even as it, you say it, I yeah. was going to say, even as you say that, that sounds contradictory. Yeah. And, and so I think identity, you're talking about uh, operating at the identity level before that is a huge identity shift. Totally. 
but I can say in the, in the back, looking backwards, I stayed a designer. In the beginning, I started designed Record Sleeve's website. Then I designed strategies. Then, because I became a strategist, then we hired a strategist and I was not allowed to be a strategist. Then I designed business. I designed structures, organization, my own company. I designed the company. I designed the relationship. I designed events for the team. And then I hired even there someone. And I hired even a managing director. So then I designed basically how do our relationship, how does our company strategy work? So actually I was always a designer, but I, I, my, my mind shift, I think there where I would totally agree on you, my mindset was so limited. I thought designing means doing websites and record sleeves. Right. No, I can bring my talents and my skills in, throw me in a restaurant. I have no of restaurants. I will still design, I will probably design relationship. I will design the space. I will design, I will design something. Okay. I will maybe design the plates. I will find my, our talents will find a new application in a different role. So we should not be afraid to let go of what we love most because it will travel with us. It will grow. And it will show in a new, new beauty and also in new challenges where we even grow bigger. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about some of the identity shifts that you've had to make through these, these scaling stages. So okay, what, I love this. Before, before you go, I'm sorry look, yeah. to interrupt you. But I, I, I love this idea about all seeing yourself as a designer, just putting that in a different context, right? So I, that, that's part of the shift that I heard. And what I, what I love about sharing that is, you know, we, we often talk about values, we talk about purpose. And sometimes I think once we have identified our values and, and identified our purpose, because someone told us we should, once we do that, we think of it's, it's static and, and it only can look in one way. And what you're saying is you can take that core piece and apply it in different contexts. Yeah. And the how question, did, like you said, hmm? yeah. How, how did you, how did you figure that part out? That you could still be a designer, even though it looked different. I didn't, I didn't get it. You didn't. I didn't. I, it's like Steve Jobs asked, you connect the dots backwards. Today, like later, I understood it. On the journey, I didn't get it. I didn't get right. it. I just went on. It was necessary. But I didn't so see what were the symptoms then or the issues that kept directing your attention back to it so that you could then eventually look back at it and see what you were doing? So how did I discover it backwards? I, I got this epiphany of designing. I, I, I really looked at designing and uh, I just re like looking back in everything I do, I realized, oh my gosh, it's always the same. It's always about understanding people, listening. Um, building, con creating a concept or a strategy for that, and then making a beautiful, implementing a beautiful uh, thing uh, that works for others. So it's just, it's always this user-centric. I always look at the others, what they need, who they are, designing a solution for them. So there is this servant leadership, which is included in design. Not, I mean, uh, in the best case. And I think the shift is, and was, it's also about, I would say in the beginning, it was a lot about me. 
I was an egopreneur. I started the, the it was my studio and um, it was called the Robinizer. It was called Robinizer and Robin was my nickname. Mm. I don't know. So I, in Germany, everybody called me Robin, the Batman of like the Batman, the sidekick of design. Like, can you Robinize my design? And so there was like, the, the, so, so I called the studio Robinizer. And so it was, I was the Robinizer. Mm-hmm. So and it was like, I was an egopreneur building mission and said like, I got great people, red designers, and they learned and they gave them great opportunities to serve me and my clients. And so to make me. Yes. So, <laughs> and, um, but we kept growing. This was also after the stage, after 15 or t- when we were around 20, we had a lot of tension in the, in the, in the office. So what I said, like one thing was the structures also was a little bit like this shift of the roles and, but it felt we had an identity conflict. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, and I hired uh, a strategist and he came and he did a lot of interviews and he said like, yeah, we kind of something we need, like, we need to position ourselves differently. And so we don't know, just like some, he said, yeah, so he did the interviews and then he came back and he did like proposed two strategies. One thing was more like, oh, you are always the transformers. Like, this is what you do. You are transforming companies. So you're, you're like the way you act, you're a transformers. This is what you do as a company. But this is not so important. It's not so important that what you do is on a more basic level. But I, we have to talk about identity. We have to take, we, you need to rename your company. And I said, what? Great. And I said, like, yeah, you will hate me because I only give you one letter and it's the most expensive letter you think you always paid for, but it will change the whole game. And I said, what is it? We need to change the name from Robinizer to Robinizers. You are all Robinizers. Robinizers became a collective. Wow. wow. It's from the I to the we. We are all Robinizers. Mm-hmm. We are all the design withers. Together, we are transforming identities and and uh, and companies in their in the way as a studio. Okay. And I really it hit me. It hit me. And you know what? This is the moment the studio hit from twenty to forty because this was the responsibility was shared in that stage. And wow. they all loved it. They started working even and like started doing, doing our redesign. It was not anymore me doing the redesign, like the rebranding. No, they, they started doing the rebranding. It was so fast. We had so quickly a new redesign. The studio looked like us suddenly. Um, they were always not me on the, on the cover of the front page. It was us. And something with even me and no one, like just the others were there. So they took over. And this is the moment it flew. It took yeah. off. And this was really surprising for me. But um, yeah. So do, is that somewhat a common experience that the founder kind of becomes the bottleneck because uh, they haven't made that identity shift from a, an I to a we? Yeah, I would say it depends on the personality. Probably some people see that. But as we would say, there is, because we as founders, we take the biggest responsibility. Right. And, um, and I see a lot of, I mean, depending on, there is this one saying like, 
I read this like in an interview um, by Vera Futuriska, and she said, men are looking for uh, scaling for status. Women are scaling for meaning. And, um, okay, it's a little bit cliche. The question is where I would say there's both types in, in male and female, but the, what do you scale for? Do you scale for success outside success? Yeah. Or do you create more, want to make, create more impact? I had like an interview um, last week with a, uh, with a female founder and she said, um, I don't want to grow. I need to grow. I need, like, need to grow because I want to get, because the people are hungry to learn. I need to get more um, opportunities, more complicated, challenging opportunities for my team so they keep growing. Because they like to play, they like to interact. Yeah. So, and also they want to have bigger salary. Mm -hmm. So she was actually scaling her company, not for their status, for that, to nurture the inner system. But by that, she was anyhow growing. Mm -hmm. But the driver was an internal driver. Right. Coming right back to that mindset. Yeah. Okay. And so she yeah. was nurturing the system. Wow. What a great way to weave all of these concepts together of culture and mindset and and um, identity and the shifts that that we need to make along the way, because, it, it, you know, I think that quote or that saying, you know, what got you here won't get you there. That makes sense to us. But what I'm hearing in our conversation today is here's why what got you here is not going to get you there, right? There's some evidence to it and, and some um, concreteness around what are the things that we can look at to grow with our company or grow so that our company can grow. Yeah. And so we have one thing is like, I always say you need to, you can coach leaders and, by, and you need to consult companies and really seeing like this cross of where are you? Like, what is the topic? Am I'm okay with me? I'm the leader. Am I'm the leader I want or need to be? So you can coach me. But maybe it's not about, I think there's something wrong with me. I have doubts or something. But maybe right. it's all fine. It just lacks of structure. And so then you need to consult and, and say like, come on, build the structures in the organization, build an, organiza build an organizational model that suits the growth stage we are and it's made for the next stage. Because if you're running around still in, uh, in when, you're, when your shirt is, your jacket is too tight, you outgrew it, you need to change it. You need to, and maybe if you're, not a, if, uh, if you're not a kid anymore, you're a youth or a young adult, you're changing every seven years. We are changing our identity to a next life growth stage. And it, it has also something to do with fashion. We are redressing. And why don't we redress our companies? And it's, it comes, it starts with a mindset shift of us in, a, in an identity shift, we are someone different. That's why we dress differently. Mm -hmm. And so it's this shifting of identity, of roles. And the other thing is the, the structures need to grow accordingly. They can limit growth and they can enable growth. And I can give one more example, which is, was really interesting right now. There's a company you want to grow, like it's in Munich, it's a beautiful company. Um, in the creative sector, and um, 
they wanted to grow to the next year and say like, oh, we will merge with another, we need to take over another team. And so we have 10 more people. But they are facing, because they're, they're, everybody was lacking off, it's so hard to find people. It's so like another guy said, we want to stop. So can you not take over our team? So we can grow from 10 to 20. They did great. So and then they found out they were all juniors or mid-size. But with 20 people, you need someone who lead it. Right. And they already had one person who led, led their, their team, their 10 people. But she said, I don't want to lead more people. And they could not hire. They looked so hard. It's so hard to get like senior people. Um, and so they, no, they so far, they couldn't find someone. Basically, what do you do? So the company can't grow. She can't take over the other team because there is no more leaders. And um, then, then on the market, you cannot find someone. So basically, the company is stuck. And okay. I said, like, hmm, but what if we change the structures? Why don't we build a, a, an organization which doesn't need a lead? Why don't, we, why don't we build an organization that doesn't need a lead? So why don't we create small teams of four or five that lead themselves? And we have... And in this, and maybe what was the role? Is the role of a leader to make, to, um, to basically, to control? No, we found out it was to make st client strategy. Oh, why don't we create a client strategy department of two, three people, strategists you can find on the market and mm -hmm. say like, this is a strategy. It's a one unit which serves all others and, and the other teams lead themselves. And we kill the leadership level. How did that work? We have, we will start implement that. Oh, fantastic. I, what I a did creative way. way. Yeah. yeah. That's thinking out of the box. And, and, uh, you know, as we're even talking about these kinds of conversations, uh, to me, I just, I'm always fascinated what creates the condition where we can be innovative, right? Where we think about, let's get rid of the leader. Who thinks of that? Who would say that, right? We're so conditioned that we have to have a leader. We have to have someone in charge. And so when we're talking about being able to even come up with an idea that might sound crazy, we've got to be in that, that mindset space where we're not being defensive, right? Where I'm not trying to protect myself from somebody or something. I, I've got to know that I'm okay so that I can, I'm safe enough. Or you, you've mentioned safety several times in this conversation. If I'm not safe, I have to be defensive. And if I'm defensive, I can't really be innovative. Totally. And imagine like if, the risk is if when, when we take this person, this leadership into a strategy team, she loses her power. Yeah. She loses her status. Yeah. So the risk is she might leave. We don't know. It's one thing about taking the person on board, making part of the process. You can try that. But in the end, she becomes from the next Joseph, she needs to become part of the team. Mm -hmm. And so there's a cultural shift. And so this is where the founders they, and leaders need to be really aligned and move forward. Here is, she will also find a job in another company. Sure. So, but the question, if the only way onwards is to protect the whole community is to distribute power to everyone to make, let's say, small junior teams with like small, powerful teams rather than leadership, then the question is, can she adapt? And so it's, this is like where, where it becomes uh, really challenging because what if we, and we don't know, does this experiment work? Yeah. 
You can say like, yeah, I've done this with a lot of other companies and it worked. Yeah, but we are special. Yeah, but the thing is like also everybody's kind of special, but we, the, what is the other alternative? Sometimes we have to make this gap shift or we prototype with two teams. Let's do two teams on the side, prototype them for two months or three months, see how, how they perform. And then, then we do the rest. There are like transitions, but this is this uncomfortable decisions and unwary, and this will drive new people to the organization who love these small units. Others will leave. Right. So right. that's kind of like hosting this space. Being a host, I think a leader or an, a founder is always a host. Yeah. And the question is, what, what kind of party do you want to host? What, who are your guests? And do they feel still fit? Even are they, because they're there since five years, but maybe you evolved, the context evolved. Right. You don't want to be so superficial anymore. You are looking for more deepness, but there's still the party people. They say, no, we evolved to, more, to a more deeper level. Mm -hmm. Do you keep them all? Or maybe it's a natural transition. And so we have to master transition. This is such a rich conversation. And I know that one of the things that you and I talked about before we hit record on this is that you're doing a research project. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit about that? And does that connect to what we've been talking about? Yeah, because um, so I'm interviewing um, female founders on their growth journey because I realized there's a way, like there is some, some difference in how men and female are approaching this topic. And um and so I wanted to find out what is it? Is it true or is it not true? Because I saw also a lot of the, the numbers are that more women are starting companies than men, but there are more men are scaling companies than women. Mm. So why don't they grow? Why don't they go over beyond five, 10, 15, 20? What is this like not letting go? It is having controlling the space. It's also like, the challenge of work-life balance. How do I manage family <laughs> with leadership, right? Right. So like, how is, is that? The other topic is, it is a little bit of, there's a lot of doubt, which is in the sense is, uh, it seems that female founders are more realistic. In what way? They say like, it's realistic. They, um, it, it's, um, so they, they're more cautious and say like, like we probably, we are getting this client. I know we get this client because the client has signed. Mm -hmm. And men are like, we just get him. Or it's kind of like a simple thing is go, like when it's typical sales, but it's kind of like going to the client and say like, oh, can you do social media and all of that? Sure. Uh, this is like more a typical man answer. But mm -hmm. the agency has never done social media. They have no clue of social media. It's more like, of course, I know a friend who knows someone. We will figure it out. It's such a big, so it's like growing through opportunities rather than like, no, we can't do a social media, but really, we are really good in branding. So, and this is being more realistic rather mm -hmm. than just being daring and bold and growing through opportunities. So, and also like promising things is something you can't. Right. Like stepping into the unknown is sometimes 
But this is some, you, this is a whole journey of transformation. Is I have not been there. I have not been there. I don't know. I don't know will be good. I don't know. It's, I've not been there. I don't know how it feels. I don't know right. how it looks like. I cannot tell you. I, there, I have books. Someone, to, I, someone shared stories, but I'm like, it's new to me. <laughs> and um, you say, oh, but I got a coach or a consultant on the side. This feels safer because, or a mentor, someone who walked the path. And still, I'm walking it for the first time. Even if a person next to me gives me sure. safe. And um, so with this, I really want to find out where, where are the difference and how are the growth stages. Okay. And um, now I'm like about like 75 qualitative interviews uh, worldwide with founder, female founders from I'm alone, non-profit um, to for-profit, different industries. And I thought in the beginning there were no patterns. I thought, oh my gosh, this is so different. And also like I said, like as a designer, I thought like, everything I know, I put on the side. I said like, I know nothing. I went in with a, with a student mindset. Sure. And I also like, I'm, I'm here observing female founders. I'm not a woman. So I, so I need to just listen and just look for patterns. And then after 10, the patterns start showing up. And now after 50, I see, I can cluster them to who is like the one, like the first two to the two to five stage, the five mm -hmm. to 15 stage, 15 to 25 and to 25 to 50. And the needs are changing. Some things started constantly, some things are changing. And so, and I really want to bring this back and, and say like, how can I work on the one night with other coaches mm -hmm. and consultants? So they become better coaches and consultants for female leaders. Sure. Um, like really training and giving away and putting give this this knowledge back to the supporters that to support and other were like the other thing is like um going to communities who work with female founders, training them so the okay. so the diversity gap in the entrepreneurial let's say we can close that and um yeah and also like building programs and coaching myself. Beautiful. So, so I can really bring this back to the community. I, I am such a fan of research and, and the way that you're doing qualitative research in particular. It, it's really, as you're saying, listening to and, and observing what data is going to emerge instead of going in and looking for particular information. Yeah. So are you still taking um, interviews at this point? Yes. Yes. How can so people, really... if someone wants to be considered for this, how do they reach you? Um, we can uh, share the link, um, so that they, they, we put an interview link. Otherwise, you find me on LinkedIn. Just send me a personal message. And um, so I think that's the easiest way to Perfect. reach out. And we'll do what we can. Hopefully, we can put those links in the uh, show description. Yeah. Um, but if you can't, what is your email? If somebody. So, yeah, it's called, you? it's simple. It's Wolfgang, the wolf and the gang, Wolfgang, uh, at thesecondmountain.com. All spelled out second in the word. Yeah, the second mountain spelled out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, looking for the, okay. you know, so supporting, like how, what is your second mountain? Fantastic. I'm really excited and, and I'm definitely going to stay in touch with you to, to learn more about what it is that you're finding in your research. Yeah. As we're closing today, do you have any other announcements that you would like to make? Yeah. So 
one thing, like, please join me for the interview research. It's so valuable. And so we can give more back. So this is one. Second, if you're interested in collaborating as a coach or consultant or a community, say like, we want to bring this topic into, into our community or to our clients, just reach out. And the third thing is, I think like something we always forget as, as founders is to nurture ourselves, mm-hmm. to nurture our growth because we work so hard right. and, um, and for that, um, I'm running a retreat this, uh, this summer in June and for 16 conscious entrepreneurs some founders who want to like nurture their own growth, just taking four days off in the mountains and, um, in a beautiful country where you probably never have been, which I discovered last year. It's so beautiful. It's Bulgaria. It's fantastic. It's, and we, it's really like we fly, we, we all meet in Sofia, the city of wisdom. And we take you from there into the mountains. It's a little luxury retreat with, um, and we play a lot. We have a, we have the, um, Ying Yang, um, uh, yoga teacher. He's amazing. He works with the female and male energies and he wants to bring it into flow yoga. And by that, you have to really discover what is your true, what is your female side in you, your female energies, but also your male. So this will also help you on a physical part to really understand who you are and how you need to lead your personal, like for yourself and others, because sometimes we need to like go forward and in the male energy and sometimes we need to go take the inner journey. You go trust our intuition, our creativity and, and step a little outside this game. So, and so we really do a lot of that. So it's, um, there will be no post-its. Promise, no positive. It is a great mindset traveling, but working with botanicals. We go into nature. Um, it's a, I promise, it's a complete game changer. Yeah. And um, I can also share the link for that um, in the thing. And otherwise, go on our website, thesecondmountain.com, um, and there's a sign up at the retreat. And I would love to see you there. Because Absolutely. I think, and this is Mary, I have to thank you for this opportunity again, because I know everybody who hears and sees this has the, the same value mindset. Because I think this is what the community created. Right. Always when I step into space, I felt I, I don't have to explain myself. I feel arrived. And, uh, and so the people you reach are my friends already. I love that. Well, can it's been an absolute pleasure just spending time with you. The the content is the cherry on top. That's been fabulous as well. Thank you for your generosity. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Are you ready to play and experiment with these ideas so that you too can live your purpose, expand your impact, and create with ease? Join us at Fully Alive on Facebook. We've created this space to explore the effects these practices and principles can have on your own experience. And if you're feeling the nudge to explore what coaching can do for you, send me an email at mary at bluebambooleadership.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, be fully alive.